from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. Well, in case you haven't heard, and I don't know if this will go down, everybody remember the O.J. Simpson verdict? It's like one of those weird things where you remember where you were. But there was another trial that ended this week. I don't know if everybody will remember where they were when they finally figured out who defamed who, Johnny Depp or Amber Heard. If 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 the 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 metaphor of I've I've seen a dog and pony show in a three ring circus and I've never seen anything like that fits anything. It, it was that trial, and what got me and I did not watch it. I just I just saw clips because it became so funny. The witnesses that they called, right? I, I don't know if if you didn't watch it. I, I, good, I'm glad that you did. And if you saw some of the clips either online or through news, you know what I'm talking about. They had one witness get into the stand, and it was like he was eating something invisible. I, I, and he kept rubbing his chin and looking and making these really weird, bizarre facial expressions. And I think he was supposed to be a a, a doctor of some sort, making you know, giving testimony. One of the people who gave testimony, they actually, and I, I never could figure out if it was recorded or live, but he gave testimony from his car with the camera on, and he's sitting like right there, and every now and then he would just decide to smoke during the middle of his testimony. Uh, they had one person on the witness stand, I think, for less than a minute to, to give testimony. And I'm sitting here going, wow, what a witness. I mean, this is the most unique parade of witnesses I've ever seen in any trial. I'm not sure that they actually added anything to it. If I was on the jury, I'm looking at these witnesses and going, I know I don't believe the defendant or the, the, the plaintiff, but I don't believe these witnesses either. They, they don't seem to have any credibility, and their mannerisms are, are such that I'm not sure what you're testifying to or why you're even here. Because usually when you have a trial, you want a witness that you know exactly what the witness is going to say. You want that witness to project credibility. You want that witness to project truth. You want that witness to be somebody that the, the jury can relate to. So as the witness is giving their testimony, the jury would be liable to listen to it, to hear what they have to say. This morning, when we go to John chapter 1, I had to laugh a little bit because we're going to be introduced to a witness. We're going to be introduced to John the Baptist as, as the first witness in John's gospel. There's seven witnesses in John's gospel. There's, go, there's a lot of sevens in John's gospel. And as we go through, I, I, I'm going to try to keep a running tab for you and let you know. But we're going to be introduced to John the Baptist in just a moment. The first of seven witnesses in the gospel of John. And as we look at him, he's going to testify. His whole point, his whole calling is to testify to who Jesus is. What he has to say, preparing the way for the one to come after him. But at the same time, John the Baptist, we're going to discover, is kind of a unique individual as well. However, the difference is, he has a message that was given to him by God specifically for him to deliver, which even through his being eccentric, makes his witness credible. So let's go to John chapter 1 this morning. 
verse 19 down to verse 34. It says, And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. So this morning, I want you to notice three things, three truths that John testifies to. And as we look at that, I guess I should say, let's back up just a minute before we look at those truths, because let's set the stage real quick. All right, we're, we're told John the Baptist, he's out in the, the, the wilderness, and it says that he is the witness. It starts in verse 19 with his testimony. It ends in verse 34. You see the word witness. And as we are introduced to John, we are introduced to him in the setting of a confrontation. Okay, We are told that a delegation has come. And this delegation, if you look down in verse 19 are the priests and the Levites. And then in verse 24, we're also told that the Pharisees are there as well. Now, this is an interesting delegation because the priests and the Levites would fall in the group called the Sadducees, and then you had the Pharisees. So the, the, the priests and the Levites, the Sadducees, were the, the rulers of society, the, the part of the Sanhedrin, you would also have the Pharisees who honestly kind of thought that they protected religion for the little man, for the common person. And they were kind of at odds. In today's parlance, what you had was the elites and everybody else. I, I hate to even make that analogy, but I think, unfortunately, we can at least understand with the way it's been discussed in culture for the past six months to a year or so. And so this, this group, this delegation comes to find out who John the Baptist is because the only way that they would really have something in common is if somebody threatened their power, right? And out in the wilderness, you have this John the Baptist who's doing something. So this delegation is sent by, we're told, the Jews. So let's, just for a moment, we got to look at that too. We're getting to his testimony, but we got to set the stage. Throughout the book of John, we're going to see this phrase, the Jews. 
Sometimes it means nothing. Salvation comes from the Jews. It just means it's a, it's a moniker is what it means. More times than not, it's used in a negative light. And the reason we need to discuss this just a minute is because the Gospel of John has been accused because of that phrase of being anti-Semitic, which I always find interesting because John is Jewish himself, so John hates his own people. It, to me, it's an interesting argument to make. What we need to state unequivocally is that the Gospel of John is not anti-Semitic. And it provides no basis today for anyone to be anti-Semitic. If, you, if there is somebody who is and, and, and sp- uh, spouts uh, anti-Semitic stuff, they cannot use the Gospel of John as a basis. There's, there's no room for it anywhere, and it's not grounded in God, John's Gospel. What he means when he says the Jews is the official leaders, as we have seen now with the chief priests and the Pharisees, who are going to stand against and who are hostile towards the message of Christ. Right? John's already told us this. Jesus came into the world, came to His own, and His own people received Him not. He has already said there is a conflict. Jesus comes home to His people, and the people say, we don't like you. And Jesus is going, I've come to fulfill the law. And they're going, but you're breaking the law. And He's going, no, I'm fulfilling it. And they're going, but you you, you healed somebody on the Sabbath. And He goes, well, which is more correct to do with the law, to heal on a Sabbath or do this? And the, they're over here going, but you're cleaning the temple under what authority? And He's going, it's my temple. And they're going, but you said that you were going to destroy this. Do you see? The people are standing up against Him, are the religious leaders and the the rulers of the day that John just labels as the Jews. Now, part of it is because, I know this isn't really deep theologically, but they were, (laughs) right? They were the Jewish people. And so this delegation is out there to look to see who this, this John the Baptist is, right? He's out there preaching a message. And he's attracted a lot of followers. People are going to hear him. So people are going out there to to be baptized. And so, wait a minute, who is this guy? Now, we're not told this in John's Gospel, but in the other Gospels, we know a little bit about John the Baptist, right? Which is why I said that he's kind of an interesting witness as well. Because John the Baptist is out in the wild wearing a camel hair tunic, a belt, eating wild honey and locusts. That's different, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it really is. He doesn't look like the Pharisee, right? He's not out there dressed in his, his nicest clothes, right? With the phylacteries and the bindings. He's out there in a tunic and eating honey and stuff. What in the world is this guy preaching about? But everybody's going. People want to hear. And have you ever noticed that when somebody starts to do something and there's a, a other people flock to see what's going on, it somehow always arouses the suspicions or the interest of those in power, whether that is political power, whether that is, and I know as an SBC church, not quite the same, but if it's a, a denominational church, the denominational powers, People in the power, people in the know, they want to know what's going on. So this is what's happened. The official delegation is going, all right, we got to find out what's going on because we got a guy out here preaching who doesn't look like us, 
who's not been trained by us, who's not been sanctioned by us, right? After all, we keep the rule of law. We keep the, the, the law. We keep the religious requirements. We know what needs to be done. He didn't come to us first and get permission. What's he doing? He's preaching about the kingdom of God. And, you know, what will it say about the, the priests and the Levites and the Pharisees if he's right? They got to find out what's going on. So they go out there to meet him, to, to get to the bottom of this. And within this conflict, John testifies to who Jesus is. And the first thing he testifies to is that Jesus is the Messiah. When they arrive on the scene, they start peppering John with questions. Okay? Now think about this. this think of it in a legal context. It's an official delegation going to see John, asking questions, making a formal inquiry. I mean, everything that, that is going on has the makings of a trial. It almost reads like, or you would think, well, if he doesn't give the right answers, they're going to arrest him and, and take him back you know, to, to jail. So they come out to him, and they begin by asking him a very simple question. Who are you? It seems like a simple question. If you're an expert and called to testify, and you get in the witness box, one of the first questions basically is, who are you? And you would say, well, I'm so-and-so. These are my credentials. This is why I'm an expert in this field. Seems like an easy question to answer. But John immediately, he doesn't do that. He doesn't give them a straightforward answer. He doesn't even give them his lineage, right? Because after all, he is in the line of the priest. His father, Zechariah, was a priest. I imagine that some of the people know him. He could have probably looked at him and said, um, well, you know me, Judah. I'm Zechariah's boy. I was raised down the house from him. You and my dad have worked in the temple together. Hey, Levi, you know who I am. You know my mom. Your mom and my mom, they're good friends. They get together on Saturday and, and, and bake. They, they would have known who he was. The question that they're asking is, why are you doing this? And John doesn't answer either question. <laughs> he doesn't answer the who you are, and he doesn't answer the why you are doing this. He gives them this, this really odd answer, and he does, it's an emphatic answer where he says in verse 19, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Well, wait a minute. They didn't ask you that. They didn't ask you if you were the Christ. And remember, Christ means Messiah, the anointed one. But his first answer is, look, I'm just going to tell you exactly who, who I'm not. I, I, I am not the Christ. Now, what I find really interesting about this is, is listen to John's answer. Paraphrase just slightly and see if you can see where the author of the Gospel of John is going. John the Baptist looks at them and says, I am not, I am. Is basically John the Baptist's answer. Because later on, we're going to see I am, but John is saying, I'm not, I am. But just wait, I'm testifying to him. He, he's, he's going to come on the scene. So now they're confused. He, he's not 
the Christ. Okay, so then they ask two more questions. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. At this point, I think you put John in the hostile witness category. John, we're just trying to figure out who you are, and you're not, you're not helping us any. You ever met somebody, you're trying to ask them questions just to get some information, and it's just like, could you just give me something to work with? John's not giving them anything to work with. I'm not the Christ, I'm not the Elijah, I'm not, I'm not the prophet. Well, 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 who, who are you? And why are they, why did John immediately go to Christ and then why did they go to prophet and Elijah? What's the connection? Well, the connection is with the coming Messiah. People were expecting that when the Messiah would come, that there would be a, a, a prophet that come before them. Remember, Malachi 4 6, the last words that the Jewish people had was, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. There's going to be one who's coming before this awesome day of the Lord that's going to turn the people back to the Messiah. So everybody is looking for the Messiah. They're looking for the signs that the Messiah is going to come back. That's what they're asking. Are you, Elijah, the one to, to come? And, and there was kind of this belief they, uh, they thought that Elijah, who didn't die in the Old Testament, the actual Elijah might would come back. You know, God took him up in a chariot, would bring him back in a chariot. Said, no, I, I, I'm not that. I'm, I'm not that. Well, how, how about the, the prophet? Are you the one that's going to come? Are you a different prophet that, that's been, been raised up? And John says, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not that either. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the prophet. I'm not Elijah. He says, but let me tell you who I am and what I'm testifying to. He says, I'm a voice. I'm a voice. Verse, verse 23. He says, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. He says, look, I, I'm, just, I'm just a voice. You're focused on my, my clothes. You're focused on my ministry. You're focused on all these externals. What you need to be focused on is, is, is what I'm saying. Stop trying to figure out who I am and just listen to the message that God has anointed me to give. And he does that and he quotes Isaiah 40 verse 3. The full passages in the, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. Now the Isaiah passage is actually talking about the return of God's people from bondage back to the, the promised land, from, from exile to freedom. And to do that, he says that the roads need to be straight. Obstacles need to be removed so the people could go from exile back into the land. And John says, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing the same thing. I'm preparing the way. I'm getting rid of the obstacles. I'm getting rid of any, anything that might hinder people from returning to the Lord when the Messiah comes. He's on his way. I'm preparing that the Messiah is going to be here just a minute. I'm getting his road smooth for him. That's what I'm doing. When Jesus arrives and he starts preaching, Jesus starts out preaching and says, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. John's message 
has been out here preaching about the kingdom of God being at hand. John the Baptist is preaching the exact same message that Jesus is going to preach. So John tells them, the Messiah is coming after me. I'm just I'm helping you hear the message now. So when he comes, you'll immediately respond to him. Well, they still didn't like that. And they go, well, what about baptizing? Why, why are you baptizing? And he says, well, it's, it's preparatory. I'm, I'm baptizing you with water so that when the one who comes will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be ready. But the problem was they were, he was baptizing Jewish people. The Jews didn't think that they needed to be baptized because they were God's chosen people. They were clean. Only the unclean needed to be baptized. And here is John going, look, I'm, I'm baptizing you so that you will turn away from your sins, so that you will repent, so that when the Messiah comes and He shows up, and then when He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, that you will be ready to receive that. He says, but you're not going to be ready to receive it if you're, if you're still in your sins and if you're still walking around thinking, I don't need the Messiah. John says, I'm, just, I'm the voice getting you ready for the Messiah who is to come. And when he shows up, John says, he, he, he's, he's getting ready to be here in verse 26 through 27. John says, when he shows up, you know, I'm not even going to be worthy to, to unstrap his, his sandals. I know that's a weird way to testify to the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, but basically what John is saying is he goes, I'm not even the least of all the servants. The, the, the lowest rung servant was responsible for untying the sandals. John says, I'm not even that good. I, I'm not even that powerful. I'm not even that special. Why? Because I'm just the voice saying that the one coming is the Messiah. And when He shows up, you need to listen. Well, immediately... John's Gospel takes us to the next day. right? Verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and this is his second testimony. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So they're out there, and, and he's still in the wilderness, and he's still baptizing, and the crowds are still there. The delegation may have come back. They're still trying to figure out who is this camel-haired, locust-eaten person out here with no training, baptizing, saying the Messiah is coming. And then all of a sudden, through the crowd, comes Jesus, and John stops everything that he's doing and testifies and says, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's who's coming. Now, I want you to stop for just a minute. Because we read this, and what's our initial reaction? Our initial reaction is, wow! This is amazing. This is incredible. And, and that phrase, the Lamb of God, has, has let's be honest, it's a Christianese phrase, right? right? We, we talk Christianese. How you doing, brother? I'm fine, sister. Praise the Lord. All, you know, right? It's, it's one of those Christianese phrases that we use now. Well, let me ask you a question. You're so familiar with it. Where else in the Bible do we find it? 
If you just, 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 just because I can. If you think we see this phrase in the Bible ten more times, raise your hand. See, I think y'all know me well enough to know not to raise your hand. <laughs> but you may also already know this. It only appears here, and then he reiterates it in just a couple more verses. This is the only place that we see that phrase, the Lamb of God. The only place. And when you go back through the Old Testament and you look, you'll notice that there's not a specific sacrifice described that says, take the Lamb of God. This, this, is, this is where we have it, even though we use it all the time. And I bring that up because this is one of those passages where we think has so much other biblical evidence that we can go and we can point out this verse and this verse and this verse and this verse and this verse and, this verse and say, this is what it means. However, there's not a specific passage that we can go back and point to and say, this is what John is specifically referencing. Yeah, there's a lot of options, and each option kind of has a, a, a slight problem, right? Here, let me read through you just a list of options, okay? It could be the lamb led to the slaughter from Isaiah 53, 7. could be the gentle lamb of Jeremiah eleven nineteen. It could be one of the lambs that they used in the daily sacrifices. The guilt offering was sometimes the lamb. It could be the lamb found in the thicket in Genesis 22 with Abraham and Isaac. It could be the Passover lamb from Exodus 12. Which one is John talking about? Because in none of those is the phrase the lamb of God ever used. So what is John talking about? Well, this is one of those times where I think we've got to get in the helicopter and take the 30,000-foot approach and go, yes. <laughs> right? When he said that to the crowd, I'm sure. Look, there, there's always that one person. You, you ever know that one person that just wants to argue? There, there's always that one, right? That says, you know, the whole crowd may be thinking, oh, I kind of understand. And that one person, just kind of like I just did, is going back here but you don't see it anywhere. Well, I think the point is that what he's trying to say is this. It's like, well, and this is my favorite. Well, can you show me where it's at in the Bible? Just that one that wants to be argumentative. But I think at the 30,000 foot level, it tells us that yes, John means all of that. Because everybody in the crowd that day, whether they could go to a specific passage, which they couldn't, every last one of them is going to go to the idea of sacrifice. This is about sacrifice. And they're going to see it in a couple days because if you look at the chronology of John, they're only a few days away from the first Passover in the book of John. And there's going to be a Passover lamb. Well, Gary, it's never called the Lamb of God. Yeah, I know that. But it's a Passover lamb. Can, can we maybe see the, the, the forest instead of the trees? Can we maybe go that this is one of the places where the Holy Spirit, through the inspiration of God, uh, uh, inspiration right through John says, the Lamb of God, and then the Holy Spirit testifies to everybody who reads it so that we know? Yeah, I think, I think we can do that. Because everybody who heard this would understand that when this sacrifice came, that that lamb was going to be a substitute. Right? The lamb took their place. They stood convicted of sin. 
they understood that with the guilt offering. That they, that's why they went and they made it. So that they wouldn't die. The lamb becomes their substitute. That sacrifice, the lamb, provides satisfaction, right? They, they could continue to live because God's wrath was satisfied. That's why the offerer didn't die. So when he says, behold the Lamb of God, everybody I think everybody in the audience understands what's going on. They understand the illusion. They might not understand it perfectly just yet, right? I mean, John just kind of springs this on them. Hey, he's the Lamb. He's got Lamb, sacrifice, substitution, satisfaction, atonement. Hmm, what's going on? John says he's the Lamb of God. Of God. And that's important because it tells us that God gives them what they need to live. Right? All the sacrificial system was given by God. It was, it was grace given to them so that they could live. And now John the Baptist looks at Jesus coming through and says, there's the Lamb. There's the Lamb of God. All the lambs that you slaughtered in the Old Testament for all your offerings, that was what you were looking forward to. And just as all the lambs and the sacrificial system were of God, meaning that God gave you the command so that you could obey, so that you could live in the land, so that God would be your God and He wouldn't kill you from your sin, and, and you could, could, could worship Him just as He was gracious in that sacrificial system, now all of that is going to come to fulfillment through the ultimate and final lamb that also comes from God. See, the audience was looking for a warrior Messiah to free them from Rome, to, to reestablish the kingdom. And John says, you don't need a Messiah who is going to come and do that. It's not the soldier of God. It's not the champion of God. It's the Lamb of God. What you really need in the Messiah who is to come is the one who can remove your sins, not for one day, but for all eternity. And here walking through the crowd is the coming Lamb who is going to accomplish all of that for you. Well, that would have been enough, but John keeps on going. They, they, they keep John continues to talk and he gets down to the end. And he says in verse 34, I have seen and borne witness that He is the Son of God. So John's last testimony here is that he, Jesus is the Son of God. He says, that, that's what I, I need you to understand. He saw the Spirit coming down on Jesus, meaning that He was anointed by God. He was set apart by God. And John says, I saw that and I understand that He is the Son sent from God. And the whole will of the Son, the whole role of a Son was to do the will of the Father. All right? we, we, don't kind of, we don't think about that as much today. Right? But, but back in, in the time of Jesus, you know, having a Son was critically important because the Son, the firstborn Son, would basically get to a point in His life where He could speak for the Father. And the Son would speak on the same authority as the Father would speak. 
And so you wanted a son. You, you wanted to have that firstborn son. You wanted that first child to be a son, to have that authority to do the Father's will. And John says, look, I testify that He is the Son of God. He has come to do the Father's will. He has come in the flesh to perfectly declare the nature of the Father and to do what the Father has sent Him. What has the Father sent Him to do? To be the Lamb of God. To take away the sins of the world. So you need to listen to Him. You need to obey Him. You need to do what He tells you to do. You need to respond to His message. And then when He goes to the cross for your sins, you need to understand that He is going as your substitute to make satisfaction. John says he, he, He's the Son of God. Now this is going to be really important to believers. Right? This is, going, this is something that's important to us. Because Jesus being the Son actually is going to provide an effect for us that allows us to be a son as well. Galatians 3.26 For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. The Lamb of God comes to take away the sin of the world through faith in His sacrifice that He made according to the will of the Father as the Son of God. Now through Him we can be sons of God too. We're adopted into His family. And not a distant relation. <laughs> right? We're not adopted as a third cousin. We're not adopted as something's twice removed, four times over on somebody else's side of the family. We're adopted as a son with all the rights and privileges that go along with that. You keep reading in Galatians and you get down to chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into, your, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. One of the great things about being a son is the inheritance. And here, Paul is writing that through Jesus as the Lamb of God, we get adopted into His family and we become sons of God. And now we're made an heir of all things. So that one day, we, we will see that undefiled, unfading, imperishable reward that is kept for us in heaven. That's our ultimate inheritance. Our ultimate inheritance is that we are a son of God so that in heaven we can sit there and we can be with God, that He will be our God and what? We will be His people. And it is through the sonship of Jesus fulfilling the law, fulfilling yes, fulfilling the law, but fulfilling the will of the Father by being the Lamb of God that we are able to have that inheritance. 
So John the Baptist is out there testifying, look, the Messiah is coming, the Lamb of God, the Son of God. He is coming. I am preparing the way so that you will receive His message. Which is the same message that we need to be witnessing to today as well, does it not? We need to be like John the Baptist, absent the camel hair and the locust. That needs to be our witness. Who, who is Jesus? Well, He's the Messiah. He is, he is the Lamb of God who took away your sins. He's the Son of God who through Him will adopt. You can be adopted into His family, into an inheritance. That's the same testimony that we need to, as a church, collectively and individually, be telling the world. That's what the world needs to hear. They need to hear the same message. And just like John, that message needs to be heard in humility. We don't need to be the attraction. John didn't want to be the attraction. He says, I'm just a lowly slave who's not fit to untie his buckle. Hear the message. Matthew 28. You all know this. You probably knew this is where I was going before we even started this sermon this morning. Matthew 28. Jesus has already... uh, He's talking to the disciples. And He's giving them the last command. This is after the resurrection. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Acts chapter 1. They're talking. They're wanting to know what is happening. Jesus stayed there with them for a while and departed. And so verse 6, it says, So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You not at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus said to them, It is not for You to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon You. And You will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It's amazing when you go back and you read John chapter 1 and you go, I wonder what John the Baptist means that he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then you come to Acts and you read where it says the power of the Holy Spirit will come over you and when it does, you will be my witness. Holy Spirit sent from Christ to come and and give us the power so that what? So that we will be a witness, so that we will testify to who Jesus is. That He is the Messiah, that He is the Lamb of God, that He is the Son of God. And that He came to die on the cross for your sins so that through Him you may be saved. And that as a... I hate to use the word reward, but as you come to Him through faith, He adopts you into His family and bestows on you all the rights and the privileges of being a son of God so that one day He will be your God and you will be His people. 
It's a 2,000 year old message, but one that we are called to testify to today because we still haven't got to the end of the earth. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.